morning. Welcome to uh, Camarillo Community Church. If you're new to us, my name is David. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. Love to meet you after, afterwards. I'll be out in the patio hanging out and saying hello. Oh, man, what a powerful worship uh, time together already. That's been wonderful and it's great seeing little children getting dedicated to the Lord. So it's been a wonderful morning already. We're going to land the plane in Galatia today. And so uh, the southern region of Galatia, the Galatian church, uh, four or five, you know, kind of house churches that Paul's writing to. We've been in it about, I don't know, 15, 16 weeks. We're going to land the plane today. It's going to be awesome. Um, kind of sad to say goodbye because I'm like, oh, when am I not going to be able to teach on this again for like three years or something like that? I don't know. We'll come back to it at some point. But uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. But before we dive into that, I wanted uh, to just kind of open us up with uh, uh, kind of a, a, something that I saw this week. And I was watching a documentary. I think it was Thursday night. And uh, it was uh, kind of a historical documentary. If you know much about me, I kind of like those things. I really enjoy those things, especially when it talks about uh, kind of leaders and figures in history. And uh, there was one documentary about Ronald Reagan on Thursday night on CNN. I don't know if you saw it. Maybe you're watching at the same time that I was watching. Now, whatever your pil uh, political affiliations are, uh, just set them aside for this illustration. doesn't matter. We can all appreciate good history in the process. And so, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was this guy who ends up in office in like these historically bad times. I mean, uh, there's these, uh, the, the, Iran is holding hostages. It seems like forever they've been holding these hostages. Uh, and, and, and he comes in, uh, and that's the first thing on his plate. Secondly, there's, uh, you know, there's the U.S. versus the USSR. There's a, is the arms race going on. There's all these nuclear weapons being built every single day. And uh, he comes in, and now we can look retroactively now, you know, kind of looking back, and, and he's processing what I got to do as I come into office. I got to figure out these, 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 these prisoners. got to figure that out. I got to figure out how to get the world uh, from feeling so anxious about the possibility of it being blown up. Like, how do, we, how do we downsize this fear and this anguish? Now, some of you guys might remember this more than I would, but you remember seeing the commercials of how the nuclear fallout and what would happen if one of these bombs, you know, and we could blow up the world like 40 times over, you, you know what I mean? So we keep on making nukes, they keep on making nukes, we keep on making nukes, they keep on making nukes. And so he's thinking, so how do I like get the world, the anxiety and fear of the world to subside? How do I get that down? And really for me to be able to do that, I need to figure out a way to get the USSR to the to negotiating table in such a way that I would have the upper hand. Like in any negotiation, I need to have the upper hand to get what I want. And so how do I bring them to the negotiation table uh, um, in such a way that, that, I, that, that I would have the upper hand? And so this guy, as he's processing all these things, he's like, you know, I think about you know, the world's problems. I mean, a nuclear fallout's a big one, right? And so he's sitting there, how do I do this? And he says to himself, I know what I'll do. Two things. Number one, we're going to increase our, uh, our, our spending on, on nuclear weapons. We're going to increase the arms race. We're going to go stronger, make them have to spend more, and hopefully get, get them to... to, to bankrupt themselves in the process. And actually, that actually works. And that, that actually is a strategy that works. And in the process of doing that, not only am I going to increase the spending on nuclear weapons, so hopefully bankrupt the other side, but then I'm also going to tout this new idea that I have uh, that we are going to be able to build a new uh, missile defense system using satellites. And so we're going to throw satellites in the, in the orbit, and then, and then you can shoot your missiles, but we're going to be able to blow them up and obliterate them before they get here. And so our missiles will get to you because you don't have our missile defenses. System, uh, but your missiles won't get to us. And so uh, he starts touting about how he's going to have this new thing and how they're going towards it and how they're making significant efforts towards this satellite bomb blowing up thing uh, that, you know, as we have satellites, you know, go, go across the, you know, orbit. Here's the thing. We're now 40 years later and there's no such weapon even today. 
There's, there's not even a weapon today that could do that. Like a satellite could blow up a, a nuclear, unless there's something I don't know about. But, but there, we don't have a weapon out there that actually can do this 40 years later. So what was he doing? The whole thing was a farce. I mean, I, I, literally, the name for this thing was uh, um, the Star Wars Missile Defense System. Like, it's as fictional as the movie Star Wars. I mean, even just said it. It's our Star Wars missile defense system. And what happened was the USSR, you know, some people die, whatever. Gorbachev comes in, and he's like, oh, my gosh, they're spinning us into oblivion. And now they have this satellite that can blow up missiles. We better come back to the negotiating table. And he had the upper hand. And in the process was able to get, yeah, let's, 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 let's start a denuclearization deal where we can say, hey, we'll, 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 you know, we'll, do, we'll denuclearize as long as you denuclearize. And we can let the whole world um, not feel the, the, the pinch and the anxiety and the pressure of what if there's a nuclear fallout. All because as bold as a man can possibly be, he's not going to throw out a lie on the world stage. The world's biggest bluff. I'm going to throw out there. And it worked. It totally worked. Iran gave up their hostages. It's first day in office. USSR comes back to the negotiation table. They have a denuclearization plan. And then in all of his boldness, he goes to East Germany, stands in front of a wall, and says, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. And it happens. I mean, and we look back now and go, wow, unbelievable. The most powerful man in the world, obviously made some big, huge accomplishments. No matter where your political sides are, it's nice that we haven't blown each other up yet. I mean, everybody can acknowledge that. And so he's, he's, but just to think of the leader, I mean, maybe I'm in a unique place so I can think about what it felt like at that point before I made the speech. I'm going to go on TV in front of this wall and say, tear down this wall. What if they don't? How will I look? I'm going to go on TV and tell them about this, this weapon that doesn't exist, that we, we 40 years later don't even have the technology to make it exist. And, and, and I'm going to, what if they call my bluff? The boldness that it would take them to do such things. I mean, I'm, a, I guess, a leader of this church, and I know the boldness that it takes to, to make changes in a church, to, to try to reach another generation, and it's hard to say yes to one group and no to another group, and the pressures you feel and all. This guy was the leader of the modern world. The weight of pressure on his shoulders, and yet he is able to find this boldness about him to do these things. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Have you ever considered what is behind the boldness in people that allows them to stand up even in the midst of opposition? Have you ever considered where does that come from? How, does that, how, how do they carry the weight and today we're going to take a closer, look, a closer look at just that, but we're going to look at that in the spiritual realm. Like, uh, what is behind someone standing up boldly for the Lord, and what is, about, what is behind them not doing that? What do we fear in the process, and, and what overcomes that fear that we can attain that boldness? I'm really going to ask the question, how might God be calling me to be bold in ways I haven't been bold before? And what equips me for that boldness? We're going to be doing that. Of course, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 last time. So open up your Bibles right now to Galatians chapter 6. I do this all the time. I want to remind you, we take the Bible and we put it up here in our lives and we place ourselves underneath it. Whatever it says, I follow, doesn't mean that I do it all the time, doesn't mean I'm perfect at it, but this is my guide for life. I take myself, I put myself underneath it and say, I will follow this thing. 
as my guide for life. And so we do that every week as we open up the Word of God. I hope you go there to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 18. If you have your phone with you, I encourage you to open it up and highlight different things and take notes, especially if you're in our growth group, obviously. If you want to take good notes to be able to be a participant in your discussions this week. The overarching question that we see on the screen is, what tends to be behind the level of boldness in our Christianity? What tends to be behind the level of boldness in our Christianity? And the first thing we're going to see is the fear of black, a backlash from others. The fear from the backlash that we might receive from others, oftentimes it is what was behind our level or not level of boldness in our Christianity. Am I bold or am I not? Sometimes when I'm not bold, it's because I'm concerned about the fear of the backlash that I might receive from others. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today in verses 11 through 13. It says this. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. It says this. See with what... See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Okay, so obviously he's trying to say something significant. It is those who want you to make a, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. This is a, a theme that we've seen throughout the book. There's a group out there that wants you to be circumcised to prove that you love God. So it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. That's their motive. They want you to do this, and their motivation is because they don't want to be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, another theme that we've seen in the book, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. So let's stop there. Uh, what tends to be behind the level of boldness in our Christianity, the fear of backlash from others? What will they say if they know I'm a Christian? How will they respond? We were so close, everything's so nice. Once I add this piece to the puzzle, will they respond to me in the same way? Will I get backlash from it? Will I not get that, uh, that, 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 that raise? Will I not get promoted? Will, will I not be able to be a partner? Whatever that might look like, what will happen if I disclose? And sometimes the fear of the backlash that could be behind that door is the reason why we don't open that door and say, hey, this is me. This is who I am. This is how I identify myself. And so the first thing he says is see what, with what large letters I'm writing to you my own hand. Now, we talked about this before, that uh, we see Paul.